You are Locked On Bears, your daily Chicago Bears podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. A lot of Chicago Bears fans were, let's say, underwhelmed by the three finalists currently scheduled for second interviews for the Chicago Bears head coaching position. But I think this is a group that can be really something to look into, a group with some real potential once you get over the idea that, yeah, there's no real shiny, sexy candidate, but still a potential solid group of coaches the Bears are trying to decide between. This is Locked On Bears, and I'm your host, Lauren Cox. I'm an analyst for Pro Football Focus, and I'm here to bring you your daily, in-depth Chicago Bears news and analysis. You can follow me on Twitter, at CoxSports1. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, at LockedOnBears. You can like Locked On Bears on Facebook. Join the Locked On Bears Facebook group for even more Bears talk. And make sure you hit that subscribe button to keep up with all of our YouTube video podcasts as well. Thanks for making Locked On Bears your first listen today and every day. On the show today, we check in on, so far, the three finalists for the Bears head coaching search. There could potentially be more coaches that get second interviews in the coming days, but for now, things just seem to be a little bit more settled on three. Matt Eberflus, Jim Caldwell, and Dan Quinn. We'll get to know the three candidates, and I think why none of them are truly bad options, even if they're not, you know, the exciting, young, upstart, up-and-coming offensive guru genius Justin Fields fixer that you might want them to be there doesn't mean they're bad coaches and I think there's a lot to like about any of the three of them and how the Bears might be looking at them as potential head coaches now clearly the Bill Polian influence is strong here but you know I think the the key context here that that I take away from it is that the head coaching candidate pool as a whole is not loaded with, like, consensus, strong, top candidates, right? Obviously, Brian Dable is the hot name after the Buffalo Bills' big offensive outburst in their playoff loss to the Chiefs. And, like, it kind of feels like for a lot of Bears fans, anyone who's not Brian Dable is all of a sudden going to be a disappointment. I mean, Byron Leftwich, Brian is still in there, too, you know? I mean, as another one of these sort of offensive coordinator names that Bears fans could maybe get a little bit more fired up about. And I think part of the problem is that Two of these three names are defensive coordinators, and the offensive coach in there hasn't been an offensive coach in a few seasons in the NFL. So we really haven't seen him in a little while really commanding an offense, you know, as we've seen how he might apply, say, Justin Fields to that sort of thing. And I think that's part of where this feeling among Bears fans comes. But I, I think there's a lot to like about these coaches. So let's start with Matt Eberflus because he, he was the first one to be announced to be getting a second interview. That, that one coming, I believe, Tomorrow, Wednesday, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, he is, of course, of course the Colts defensive coordinator. And he's had a kind of an, uh, a straightforward path to the NFL. He's grew up in Toledo, Ohio, played college football at the University of Toledo, then came on as a graduate assistant, assistant coach at Toledo, worked his way up the Toledo coaching staff. And, you know, one of the years he played there, he played under head coach Nick Saban. So he's got some of those Alabama defensive roots buried in there. And then I believe replacing him was Gary Pinkle, who went on to be the head coach at Missouri. And so Eberflus ends up coaching at Missouri after working his way up the coaching staff at Toledo, was the defensive coordinator at Missouri for like eight years there. Really 
a lot of stability at that spot and, and coached some pretty good defenses at Missouri while they were still in the Big 12, which is, you know, we don't think of Big 12 as having, like, a ton of great defenses. And not that he was, you know, top in the country, but, like, all things considered, did a pretty good job there for the most part with some ups and downs, but certainly a lot of stability there. Makes the jump after, like I said, eight years or so there to the NFL with the Cleveland Browns under Rob Ryan. Follows Rob Ryan as the defensive coordinator to the Cowboys. And there, again, Eberflus, and I, I, I'm still not sure on the pronunciation there, Eberflus, Eberflus. I'm going to probably say both on the podcast throughout, and someone will inevitably correct me or I'll hear it corrected a couple different times, and then eventually I'll get it through my skull. But regardless, follows Rob Ryan to Dallas, stays there for seven years as a linebacker's coach. You know, Rob Ryan leaves for the Saints, Eberflus stays. I think they had one year of Monty Kiffin as their defensive coordinator, and then former Bears defensive coordinator Rod Marinelli takes over as their defensive coordinator, keeps Eberflus as his linebackers coach, and a particularly important coaching role as they transition from Rob Ryan's 3-4 to Rod Marinelli's 4-3. Coaching the linebackers is where you're going to see some of the most change there, certainly for the guys on the outside, as opposed to you know going from the edge rushers to the off-ball linebackers and how those roles are definitely uh, going to change. Of course, as a linebackers coach in Dallas, coached DeMarcus Ware, Sean Lee, Rolando McClain, Anthony Hitchens, Anthony Spencer, a bunch of others. Then, you know, after being linebackers coach there for seven years or whatever, uh, Josh McDaniels gets hired as the Colts head coach and hires Eberflus to be his defensive coordinator. McDaniels then backs out, and Frank Reich opts to keep Eberflus as his defensive coordinator, even though that was first picked by McDaniels, but GM Chris Ballard was really big on keeping Eberflus there, really seemed to like him, and it's worked out pretty well. You know, he came in to fix what Chuck Pagano had kind of left behind as a, a defense really kind of not hand, not doing well, broken, maybe in ruins is a strong word, but ranking near the bottom of the NFL. Year one, Eberflus comes in top 10 defense. Year two, they lose Andrew Luck. Everything kind of drops off there it's sort of surprisingly, and, you know, they, fall, they definitely had a fall down for sure, but then the last two seasons, top 10 defense in 2020, top 10 defense in 2021. So you have Eberflus then... Pretty good track record here as a defensive coordinator for the Colts. Longtime linebackers coaching the NFL. Multiple coordinators seem to keep him and want him around. Of course, a college defensive coordinator did a pretty good job. Very sort of scheme versatile, working from the 3-4 and the 4-3, studied under Saban and some of those pattern match concepts. Certainly Rod Marinelli and the Levy Smith tree in there too. Rob Ryan, more of an aggressive 3-4. So he's gotten like a wide mix of schemes that he's coached under and he's able to do a lot of different things. He seems to be very innovative and really well-liked, beloved, respected in the coaching community. And for me, his resume really follows how you typically would want to see a coaching candidate rise up. You know, you go from, you sort of, you know, college position coach to college defensive coordinator, earn your stripes there, then you earn your stripes as an NFL position coach for a while, prove yourself, then become an NFL defensive coordinator for, you know, at least a handful of years and, again, show consistent, solid growth. Like That's sort of the, the vertical path to, like, succeed in every stop on your way up. You haven't seen him go up and then back down and up and then back down and succeed and then fail. You know, it's like he's had he's had bumps and adversity along the way, but he hasn't had like those outright like fired for being bad and then gets a second chance type thing. Like he's been consistently improving over time as a coach and one of those guys who I think has coached a lot of players to be better than maybe what their talent might suggest. Colts defense has not been riddled with household names. I mean, Darius Leonard, of course, at linebacker and then like, yeah, they got sort of the cast off Xavier Rhodes from the Vikings, ended the career of Justin Houston for a little bit there. They traded for DeVorce Buckner from the 49ers. Like, they have a couple of guys, but it's not a star-studded Colts defense, and he's got them playing 
at a top 10 level for multiple seasons. I mean, that really sort of is the culmination of that type of young upstart defensive coordinator candidate that you might be looking for in, in a vacuum. It's separate from the whole Justin Fields thing with maybe wanting an offensive guy for him specifically. In a vacuum, Everflus seems like a fine candidate, and it's why he seems to be maybe one of the favorites. I mean, the Bill Polian connection, of course, from the Colts seems to be a pretty strong one for him, but not the only coach on this search with strong Bill Polian connections to the Indianapolis Colts. We'll check in on the resume really of, of Jim Caldwell, and one that I think he's probably the most underwhelming for Bears fans, but I think it's worth giving him a, a real objective chance next on Locked on Bears. Our friends over at betonline.ag have had prop betting odds on who's going to be the next Chicago Bears head coach. But even though, even if you don't want to try and guess that game, they've got some other fun prop bets available right now, including Aaron Rodgers' bets, if you want to revel in that a little bit more. You can currently bet whether he's going to be on the Packers next season in week one of 2022. Currently, the betting favorite says no. You can bet on whether or not he'll retire. That's betting favorite to not retire there. You can also bet on which team he will play for, if not the Green Bay Packers. Your, your best odds there are Broncos and Steelers, followed by, boy, a number of other teams with a wide variety of outcomes there. Plus, you can bet on the NFL playoff games as well if you want to make those games a little bit more exciting for you. I'm telling you, Bet Online is the number one place we recommend for all of your sports betting needs. Sign up today for a free account and enter in our promo code Locked On, and they're going to give you a free 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's free money, them just giving it to you with your deposit to play with and win at Bet Online, where the game starts. Jim Caldwell is an interesting candidate for the Bears head coaching job, given that he coached for the Lions, given that he went to the Super Bowl with the Colts, and given that he hasn't coached in the NFL in like three or four seasons, but still keeps popping up for these head coaching interviews. And the other interesting thing about him is that NFL Network's Mike Garofolo reported just this week that Bill Polian potentially is pushing for Eberflus as Bears, off, uh, as Bears head coach with Caldwell, perhaps, as his offensive coordinator to rekindle a couple of Colts connections there to start building this Bears coaching staff, that Caldwell would be the one to, you know, look after fields and, and run, run things that way with the with Polian's blessing, with Eberflus still as sort of the young ascending head coach over top of him. And I certainly don't hate that idea, but I think it's an interesting pathway for Caldwell there. And, and we'll, we can get into this a little bit more, but I'm not sure if that's exactly what Caldwell is looking for. It seems like Caldwell is waiting for the right opportunity. And is that, is that what he's been waiting for? It's, it's, it's a little bit hard to tell. And, you know, I will say this about Jim Caldwell on the front end is that I might have a slight Caldwell bias in, in his favor. It's not anything drastic, but I do like to be transparent about these sort of things. I have met Jim Caldwell a couple of times. I've covered some events he's done in his hometown. I've seems like a very nice guy. Actually a, a, a friend of mine, his family has been longtime family friends with the Caldwells. They used to go to Colts games a lot when he was the Colts head coach. I think some Lions games as well. So, like, I don't know him personally all that well. I certainly don't have any inside information or really anything extra above and beyond I can glean. I just, I do know he's a very good person, a genuine human being. He and his wife are very good in the community. They care a lot about, especially, like, initiatives for low-income people and people of color. They've really invested a lot in those types of initiatives in his small hometown. And he's, he's very much a guy who does not take a lot of credit for things, right? His name is not front and center. It's not former NFL coach Jim Caldwell does this. It's like 
here's a vent. And when you dig a little bit deeper, you see in the, in sort of the credits at the bottom that, Oh, Jim Caldwell was involved in that. Like he's not a flashy showy, you know, give me a lot of credit for all the good I do in the community type guy. He's very much a do good and not take a lot of credit for it. Just do good. Cause it's the right thing to do. He's, he's a right thing to do type of person. I have a lot of respect for Jim Caldwell, the human being. And that's where I guess that's the extent of my bias there is that, is that, I mean, unlike Matt Eberflus or Dan Quinn, I actually have actually spent time, limited amounts of time around Jim Caldwell. And he is from, you know, 30 minutes from where I grew up. So that's the, that's about as far as the bias will go there. So I, I will put that on the front end, but like, I, I think I'm still able to objectively look at him as a, as a coach on the field, which is very much a sort of mixed bag there, right? He's a little bit older than the other two candidates we're talking about here, a much longer coaching experience, longtime assistant in college coach, co- coach quarterbacks and wide receivers for a while. And then was the head coach at wake forest for like eight years, really poor win loss record there. I think they had one season where they went to the bowl game and a lot of one, two, three, and four win years there did not go well, but they set some school records for passing offense. Like they were a high flying run and gun. Well, not really run. They were terrible rushing teams, but really strong passing games at at Wake Forest. And it's interesting because like he went from being the Penn State quarterback coach to the Wake Forest head coach. And I kind of wonder if like Maybe that was too big of a jump, and maybe it was too soon. Like, of course, kind of makes sense that they could pass the ball well because he was always coaching quarterbacks and wide receivers, but maybe not ready to be a full college head coach at that point, but he was there for eight years. They certainly gave him quite a bit of run, but then makes a jump to the NFL from there as Tony Dungy's quarterback coach, one year in Tampa, the rest of the time in Indianapolis, and really takes over as assistant head coach, and you could tell Dungy was sort of grooming him over time to be his heir as the Colts head coach. But again, he makes the jump from quarterback coach to head coach. He's now, when he took over as the Colts head coach, I believe if my math is correct, he was like, he had coached for 30 years up to that point, from like 77 to 2008 or so. He had never been an offensive coordinator specifically in those 30 years. I mean, I think he ran the offense at Wake Forest, but had never held the offensive coordinator role for those 30 years. And, and, and even beyond as he took over as the Colts head coach. Of course, Bill Polian his general manager the entire time in Indianapolis. And after Caldwell becomes head coach, Polian adds the title of team president as well. So very clearly a strong connection for those two teams. And as we know, Caldwell takes over as head coach. Colts go start the season 14-0 with Peyton Manning. They end up losing the last two games that season after reportedly Polian directed him to sit their starters for the final two games. Kind of a controversial thing, but they go on all the way to the Super Bowl. So did, did the two games arrest there really cost them that much? Probably not, but... Lose to the Saints in the Super Bowl, I guess, you know, iffy. But then year two, they go 10-6. and six. They win the AFC North again. They do lose to the Jets in the first playoff game they played that season, the Mark Sanchez-Rex Ryan Jets, I believe. In that, it would have been like 2011 or so, right around there. So, you know, some, some drop up there. And then year three is Peyton Manning neck injury misses the whole season. Colts go 2-14, and 14, get the number one pick. Caldwell fired, Polian fired you know, reset in Indianapolis, they draft Andrew Luck, et cetera, et cetera. And so we talked about this a little bit, was it last week, about how, like, you know, I, I'm certainly no one's giving Jim Caldwell full credit for inheriting Tony Dungy's team and going 14-2 and two to the Super Bowl, right? That wasn't all Jim Caldwell. But not any coach could just step in there and win 14 straight games. I mean, just very few coaches have been able to do that ever. Like, you know what I mean? Let alone, like, so, like, to, to say that, well, Caldwell doesn't deserve any credit for going 14 2. No, he he did something, clearly did something there. He clearly led that team and, you know, was 
intimately involved in them having that success that just not just anyone could have won 14 games. Maybe a lot of coaches could have won 10 games with Peyton Manning that season. Sure. Plenty, you know, you didn't take a, a genius head coach to be, to win, to be, have some success with Manning, but to go 14 and 0 to start that season took something involving Jim Caldwell's influence. Similarly, on the other end, you can't blame Jim Caldwell for going two and 14 when you take Peyton Manning out of the equation. Like, yes, would you have wanted Caldwell to do better than two wins? Sure. But was he going to do better than four or five? Probably not. I mean, I don't know how many coaches could really do, could go, could lose Peyton Manning like that and, you know, do any better than four or five wins. So you can't give Caldwell the full blame for going two and 14 in the same way that you can't give him the full credit for winning the Super for going to the Super Bowl either. But regardless, it's enough to fire him, enough to fire Bill Polian. Goes to the Ravens as quarterback's coach. They fire their OC midseason. He becomes interim offensive coordinator. And then they go to the Super Bowl. They win the Super Bowl with Jill, with Joe Flacco at quarterback. There's something. I mean, again, does he give the full credit for leading Flacco to the Super Bowl? No, but I think he deserves quite a bit of it, especially when they fire their OC and they instantly get better on offense with Caldwell taking over. I think that was his first offensive coordinator gig, actually, like legitimate just offensive coordinator position, wins the Super Bowl with Joe Flacco. Offense drops off a little bit the second year, but then he's the Lions head coach from there. Takes him to 11-5 and five in the year one. It's their best record in two decades. 1991 was their best record since the 90s, the early 90s. Make the playoffs, losing the wild card. Then 7-9, and 9-7, and 9-7. And and Apparently fired for not being good enough in Detroit after three, three out of four winning seasons. And second in the division, those three or four winning seasons. A couple of trips to the playoffs for something that the Lions really struggled to do. I mean, you know, his offenses in Detroit were not ranking in the top of the NFL, but like... Had a couple of coordinators who were really well-respected. Jim Bob Cooter, the offensive coordinator. Terrell Austin, the defensive coordinator, longtime defensive coordinator with a lot of respect around the NFL. I met Terrell Austin at the Senior Bowl a couple of times. All the coaches dap him up. Everybody loves him. He was really nice to me, too, a couple of times that I talked to him. Just genuine down-to-earth guy. So, like, he seems to be able to pick coordinators pretty well. He's been kind of a consultant since there. He was briefly, I think, helping out with the Dolphins. But given that he hasn't coached in, you know, three or four years, I am curious, you know, how well he's still in tune with modern NFL offenses, right? It's one thing to be on a staff somewhere and, and breaking down tape every week and preparing for opponents or whatever, but to be away, to be out of the league, you can still watch tape and keep up with some stuff. But I just wonder, you know, that's one of the things that's going to be in that interview is, right, is is how much he's been keeping up, how well he's been keeping up and what his ideas are to stay fresh and, and innovative and up-to-date with NFL offenses. I, I, I don't mind that as a head coaching candidate. You know, he's very much more the CEO, team leader, type as opposed to the offensive coordinator innovator guy who's going to come in and have this brilliant perfect scheme for fields right not to say that he, he won't have a good scheme for fields but he's going to be he's not going to be as known for like fresh you know he's not going to be the brian dable type he's going to be more the jim harbaugh type of like you know leading the organization and having a strong identity and those types of things as opposed to like being the offensive innovative genius like matt Nagy or others so like I can see where it's very underwhelming for Bears fans, and maybe for Bears fans, it might be easier to stomach him as an offensive coordinator under someone like Eberflus as opposed to, like, make him the head coach. But I think he's got a pretty strong resume, and I don't think he gets enough credit for the good that he has done as a coach. I think he's a genuinely good person. Maybe that's partially my bias with him, but I I don't mind Jim Caldwell. It's not sexy, it's not fun, it's not exciting, but he could be a very good coach, at least give you some more stability and kind of right the ship a little bit more here. I mean, it's, it's none of these co none of these candidates are perfect. None of them are, you know, the sexy home run pick. That's a consensus. Everybody loves this guy. So you kind of have to pick what exactly you like the pros and cons. You like the pros you like the most, the cons you don't mind the least and, and whose mixture of things 
really suits you the best. And I can see why a lot of people are coming around on Dan Quinn a little bit more. He's the third of the finalists so far. We'll kind of check in on where he's done well and, and where he's struggled in his coaching career next on Locked On Bears. Hey, Bears fans, I want to tell you about an incredible app for anyone who buys gasoline. Anytime you fill up any kind of vehicle or even a small engine, I guess, with gasoline, you go to the pump. It's called Get Upside. And Locked On Bears listeners are earning cash back for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. You just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play and enter in our promo code TOUCHDOWN, and you're going to get 25 cents per gallon or more on your fill-ups cash back. Don't, don't, don't pay full price the pump anymore, especially with the way gas prices went up and they're coming back down, but, but where exactly they're going to be. Get Upside can help you keep more of that cash in your pocket. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a year, or excuse me, two to $300 a year in cash back, and there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime if you want to direct deposit in your bank account. You can do it through PayPal or even they'll do like an e-gift card for Amazon or other online retailers. So it's super easy to use. All you got to do is download the free GetUpside app, enter in our promo code TOUCHDOWN, and you're going to get $0.25 cents per, cash, per gallon in cash back or more when you fill up. Again, promo code TOUCHDOWN when you download the GetUpside app. You can see where some of the upside might be with someone like Dan Quinn as a potential Bears head coach. And it's interesting because he's the only one who doesn't have the Bill Polian bias or Bill Polian seal of approval. I mean, we don't know how, what Bill Polian thinks about, about Dan Quinn, but like he's the one who hasn't worked with Bill Polian or I guess been a part of Bill Polian's, you know, ecosystem of the Colts, right? He's the only one who hasn't coached for the Colts and been a part of a Bill Polian team as far as we can tell. But Quinn, you know, he was a defensive line coach for a while in the NFL, 49ers, Dolphins, Jets. As I will say the Dolphins year uh, under Nick Saban, so he's got some of that tree. And, again, has been under Mike Nolan, I think, in, in with the 49ers and might have been Rex Ryan with the Jets. It might have been a little bit before then. No, it was Mangini's Jets under uh, Bob Sutton, who went on to be the, the Chiefs defensive coordinator, I believe. And then, then he comes to Seattle as the defensive line coach, first under Gus Bradley. And, you know, the, sort of the earliest years of the Legion of Boom Seahawks defense, he was he was in charge of that defensive line. You know, the Michael Bennett, and I'm, trying to, I'm struggling to remember all the other guys they had on that defensive line, but it was, a, it was a very strong truth. They have Cliff Averill at that time, or was he still with the Lions? Regardless, strong defensive lines helped be that Legion of Boom defense. Jumps down to be the Florida defensive coordinator for a couple of seasons. And then when Gus Bradley is hired away to be the Jacksonville Jaguars head coach, it's Quinn who gets the call back up and say, you know, Pete Carroll calls and says, hey, we want you to take over as our defensive coordinator. First season he's back is now D.C. for the first time in his career. Seahawks go to the Super Bowl, win the Super Bowl, 2013. You know, he didn't build that defense per se. It was, it was Gus Bradley's defense first. He was coaching the defensive line, but like he didn't build that secondary at least. But when Quinn takes over in 2013, that, that Seahawks defense was the first defense since the 1985 Chicago Bears to finish the season first in points allowed, first in yards allowed, and first in turnovers. So that's that's not nothing, right? I mean, again, kind of like Caldwell with the Colts offense, you know, do you, do you give Quinn all the credit for that? No, but the previous guy wasn't able to do it nearly as well, or at least that's statistically impressive as it was until Quinn did it. So wins the Super Bowl in 2013, goes back to the Super Bowl in 2014, they lose to the Patriots. And 
in that case, you know, you killed Dan Quinn when really it was Pete Carroll and his offense that didn't pass on the goal line. They handed it off to Marshawn Lynch. I mean, we don't got to rehash that whole Super Bowl, but like the Quinn defense wasn't really fully the problem there. Could have done better, but like was, wasn't that really fully the problem in that second Super Bowl. And of course, taking a defense to back-to-back Super Bowls is part of why we, we see that Legion of Boom Seahawks defense as, you know, one of the best of the modern era, if not one of the best of all time. Again, not here to have that debate, but it's they're in that discussion at, at the very least. And that's good enough to get Dan Quinn hired as head coach for the first time as by the Atlanta Falcons. And, you know, smart enough to hire Kyle Shanahan as his offensive coordinator. Again, as far as being able to pick good potential candidates there, I mean, he did a good job there. His defensive coordinator never really went on to do much, but that offensive coaching staff also had Matt LaFleur as one of the assistants. I don't remember if it was quarterback's coach or what, but like they had, it was a good offensive coaching staff. He was able to sort of pluck there and get good years out of Matt Ryan as a result. Second year in Atlanta, back to the Super Bowl. I mean, he's three Super Bowls in four years, at least appearances. Of course, they lose to the Patriots in that game and really uh, they blow a 28-3 lead. And there's some very big questions for Dan Quinn in my interview, if I'm interviewing for head coach, about what went wrong when you gave up the 23, 28-3 lead over the Patriots in the Super Bowl. One, one of many of the questions I think I would have for Dan Quinn. And it's just interesting in Atlanta, like his defense is never really statistically ranked all that well. I mean, one or two years in the top 10 range, but like the rest of the, the, rest of the time, you know, below average really defenses. And I, I, I chalk some of that up to the scheme, you know, like he was still trying to run a lot of the Seahawks stuff early on there and the NFL had kind of adapted to beating that. And he was kind of slow. I thought to adapt out of the single deep cover three type defense. And then along with that, see the, the Falcons were never able to really get great personnel to run that defense. Right. I mean, they didn't have, when you don't have the Richard Sherman and you don't have the Bobby Wagner and you don't have uh, Errol Thomas on the back end, the Cam Chancellor, right? I mean, it's hard to replicate that. And I don't know that the Falcons did a great job of giving him the players with the right skill sets to truly replicate that defense, in addition to the defense sort of aging poorly at that time. So then, you know, they start 1-7 in 2019, and they start 0-5 in 2020 and gets fired early in that season or early-ish, fired at the same time as a GM, they clean house. And he finishes as a head, his head coaching record is 43-42, and 42, like one game over 500. It's not really all that impressive. He only had two seasons above 500. One went to the Super Bowl, of course, but like that's that's not not a great track record as a head coach. So then last year was his first year as the Cowboys defensive coordinator. Great turnaround. Really well-coached, top 10 group. Scheme looks brand new, innovative, adaptive, fits the personnel so much better. They just looked really well-coached. You know, they led the NFL in interceptions, which is not sustainable, but it is something to get back to that point. And Trevon Diggs was a big part of that. So it's like all of a sudden after 2021, Quinn looks like a changed man, changed coach, right? He's, you know, he's changed his scheme entirely, seems to have learned a lot, at least defensively from what he did in Atlanta and and Seattle and and has that versatility. So like that's all seems very good. And uh, reports have been that in these head coaching interviews that he's had with multiple teams, he's the Giants, the Broncos, and the Bears have all been like intentionally interviewing him that reportedly he's had really good answers about what he would do differently this time as a head coach, how he's learned, how he's grown, not only in defense, but in in leading teams and all that stuff. So like, that's all very good. I just, I wonder if one year as a defensive coordinator for the Cowboys is enough to convince me. You know what I mean? Like, of course, he'll say all the right things in the interview, but as a head coach, if you're two years in and the going gets tough, you know, will you revert back to certain things? Do I truly believe that, 
everything you've learned it, it has changed. I just feel like with Quinn, I'd feel so much better about it if we were two or three or four years of him as a defensive coordinator for the Cowboys. And they were two or three or four years of his defenses being really good again and feeling like, okay, he's definitely learned something. It's settled in and he's like, it's very hammered home of what he needs to do to be the better coach than what we saw in Atlanta. But he was just, it's just hard after one year to really feel like he's for sure changed. You know, I mean, not that I, I'm trying not to like assume he hasn't changed, but it's just, I don't know, I'd, I'd like a little bit more evidence there just for how mediocre they were in Atlanta, just defensively especially, but just as a team overall too. It's just, you know, he, he was so good in Seattle. So it's like, yes, he, he's proved it before, but as a head coach, you know, is he, is he a good defensive coordinator and a bad head coach, right? I, that, I need more proof perhaps that he, that things have changed and without interviewing them ourselves, it's really hard to know that. So he does seem like a particularly popular candidate among these other teams. And I think the bears included in that, he has to be saying some things, right. And have some really good ideas. So that's, that's why I'm, I'm willing to give him some of that benefit of the doubt and see him as like, yeah, if he's really learned and adapted that maybe that second chance as a head coach could really be what he needs. Cause he's, he's seen what it takes to get to the Super Bowl and defensive coordinator win the Super Bowl. And we've seen a lot of those coaches that like have some success with their first team and then come to their second team and really figure it out. Right. It's hard to predict exactly what leads to that, but Quinn has some of that potential as well. So like all three of these coaching candidates have some real potential to be successful. They all have some warts. But all of the candidates have warts. Even Brian Dable has warts. I personally have some concerns that Dable is good offensive coordinator, not great head coach. And I'm curious to see how that plays out with whatever team ends up hiring him, if any team ends up hiring him this time around. And none of these coaches, other than maybe like Sean Payton, seem like surefire home runs. So I think you should give these candidates the benefit of the doubt, or at least open up your mind to the possibility that maybe they could be good. Because none of the candidates are truly, truly all that successful. And just trying to be too disappointed in these guys. Hear them out a little bit. Not that we should fully trust what Bill Polian and George McCaskey are doing. But, like, I, I don't hate these guys as candidates. I really don't. I think there's something to like there. And I don't think it's necessarily, like, falling into the same Matt Nagy pitfalls that they did. You know, or falling into the John Fox pitfalls, right? It's, it's at least some things that feel a little bit different and have some potential for success. No matter how the Bears go in the GM and head coaching search, you can be sure we'll break it all down for you five days a week right here on the Locked on Bears podcast. So make sure you hit that subscribe button to keep up with all of our daily in-depth Chicago Bears news and analysis. Thanks for making Locked on Bears your first listen today and every day. If you're looking for a second listen, don't forget the rest of our Locked On Chicago sports podcasts, Locked On Bulls, Locked On Cubs, Locked On White Sox, Locked On Black Sox, all here on the Locked On Podcast Network, bringing you your team every day. And every day, my goal is to help you bear down. <laughs>